Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspired Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's Word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspiredchurches.com. Can we just show some love? Come on, you do a little better than that. Come on, show some love for your mamas. Yes, yes, happy Mother's Day. And I just want to take a moment and uh, just build off of what Pastor Roger and uh, the lovely young ladies and Oscar, uh, I, just, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to my beautiful mother, my beautiful wife, two amazing mothers in my life. I also want to make sure that there are some of you in here that are acknowledged. Um, you know, I think I know this personally, uh, whether it be through a miscarriage, um, whether it through, be through some kind of medical difficulty that you want children. Some, there are some silent struggles in this room of people who have been trying. I want to acknowledge you. You have a heart of a mama. For some of you who even carried baby and experienced, I just want to let you know that um, today's your day too to be honored and, uh, and the heart that God has given you as a mama. And though you may not be able to mother physical children right now, there are plenty of spiritual children that need mothering. And so I want to honor you as well and say happy Mother's Day. Amen. I'm going to say happy Mother's Day. Um, you are not forgotten. You're not forgotten. In light of uh, the recent events and the recent news regarding the Supreme Court, in the light of what Mother's Day is all about, I just want to take a moment to say that Inspired Church, and I want to say this sensitively, but I want to say it truthfully, Inspired Church stands with the unborn. We believe what the prophet Jeremiah said. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. We also believe what King David said in Psalm 139, 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And to add a woman's voice. In a recent article posted on Vox, Professor and Dr. Karen Pryor wrote, rights for women that come at the expense of unborn children aren't true liberation. They merely, as one writer put it, enable the redistribution of oppression. If we're going to be a church that is pursuing justice, biblical justice, and I know that for some people justice can be a tricky word, but if we're going to be a church that pursues biblical justice, we have to start in the most marginalized and silenced place, and that's in the womb. There's grace, and there's forgiveness, uh, but we are a church that stands with the unborn, and I just want to make sure that as we celebrate Mother's Day, we also have an opportunity during this time for you to understand that we believe what the scripture has to say about those that are in the womb. Amen? Amen? 
And we want to do it sensitively, but honestly, graciously, but truthfully. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. We see your love and your care in the mothers uh, that are even in this room. We thank you for all the mamas. I pray that this word this morning would not come back void, but that it would accomplish everything that it's been set out to accomplish. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 You know, it's really interesting. Uh, for those of you that have been coming to Inspired Church for a while, you know that during special holidays, we don't stop and do, you know, special sermons. <laughs> you know, so it's like Mother's Day. So he's, it's going to be joyful and encouraging and he's going to preach about a mother. No, we're going to continue in the book of Revelation <laughs> and we're going to talk about sexual immorality. Happy Mother's Day, right? You know, like that's just how it goes here. And there are other churches out there you're free to visit, but that's just what happens here. We kind of don't change our calendar. So mamas, we love you. And our goal is to pray that you're blessed and hey, Maybe your children that you brought today would be blessed by it too, and, uh, and we'll have a good time together. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Compromise <laughs> can be defined. How can we define compromise? Compromise can be defined as an agreement in which two sides make some concessions, right? In many ways, compromise is the process, and all the husbands said amen, and the wives, compromise is the process by which both sides agree maybe to lower their standards in order to meet in the middle, right? So that we can preserve the unity of the relationship. Ask any marriage counselor, Pastor Sherry, how are you? Compromise is key. It's a key ingredient. If you don't believe it, come to my house. Jamila and I are working on that constantly. Um, it also is a key component in successful business partnerships. Amen? In fact, I want to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here. 99% of our relationships, compromise is invaluable. Yet, there's only one relationship where compromise kills. And that's the relationship between Christ and his church. Amen? Amen. And so if you have your Bibles, we are going to read the letter to the church at Pergamum as we continue in our Dear Inspire series. We're walking through the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Jesus is writing letters to these churches. Would you turn with me to Revelation chapter 2? And we are going to read verse 12 through 17. Revelation 2. Verses 12 through 17. And I'll wait for you to turn there if you have your Bibles. I don't want to rush this. Uh, I want to encourage you to open that up or your Bible apps. We'll also have it for you here on the screen. But Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. How y'all doing? Good. Amen. Three of you are doing great. Chapter, 12, chapter 2, 12 through 17. Let's do this. Amen. Let's, let's read what the scripture has to say. And to the angel, let me remind you, the angel is the pastor of the church. Praise God for that. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Happy Mother's Day. I know where you dwell, writes Jesus. 
You dwell where Satan's throne is. Interesting. Yet you hold fast my name and you do not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. That's never good. Like Jesus, please just love me. Like don't tell me that you have something against me. Yet here we are, Jesus says, I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, Repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. To a church that was planted on the doorstep of hell, our Lord Jesus Christ praises some for their faithfulness while rebuking others for their compromise. This is a split church some are faithful some are compromising and you see in in all of Christ's letters to the churches Jesus Christ reveals himself as the one who possesses the divine attribute of omniscience right only God is all-knowing you see Jesus knows everything because Jesus is God And as God, though Christian institutions and individuals do things in secret, we can be sure that there is absolutely nothing hidden from the sight of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around or you've been watching, the church has been being exposed the last several years. In fact, it's been exposed for a very long time, but with the advent of Twitter and social media and YouTube and survivors coming forth and being able to share directly to uh, 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 everyone, we are now hearing and seeing what has always been heard and seen in places in that the church and its leadership, whether the institutions or the pastors or the members are being exposed for their fraud. And Jesus says, I know and I see. And there will come a day when everything that is hidden is revealed to the light. Can I get an amen? So to the church at Ephesus, which Pastor Roger preached about a few weeks ago, Jesus says, I know your works. 
to the church of Smyrna, which we spoke about last week. He says, I know your suffering. I know your tribulation. And now here to the church in Pergamum, Jesus writes, I know where you live. <laughs> I know where you dwell. <laughs> don't think I don't know where you live. That's not where it's going, but I just like saying that. I know where you live. You see, Pergamum, the city in which this church dwelled, was an epicenter of Greek culture. It was an epicenter of Greek culture. Um, it was a place where the arts and the entertainment converged with politics, religion, and education. Right? Just a, a, you know, a, maybe a, a university, kind of the vibe of a college town, but also a downtown, a, kind of a mixture of all of these elements kind of put into one. And, and I want to I give you a tour of this city, okay? I want to take you on a Mother's Day tour. I want to take you on a tour of this city. This city was built on a hill. Like a lot of great Greek cities, it was built alongside of a hill. And so I just, I just want to tell you a little bit about where they lived because Jesus says, I know where you dwell. At the Acropolis, kind of the top of this hill, uh, was kind of some of Pergamum's most important and influential civic structures, okay? So, so for instance, uh, there, there was a Hellenistic theater, and I kind of have a, a few photos for you to see. Uh, there was a Hellenistic theater in this city that sat over 10,000 people. There also was a library that contained some 200,000 hand-copied volumes. In fact, it was here in Pergamum where we get the word parchment. Parchment is short for the paper that originated from Pergamum that was called Charta Pergamena. Just in case anybody ever goes on Jeopardy, you're welcome. It was also residence to the Roman prefect of the region who was said to carry the power of the sword, which meant that this Roman prefect had the authority to execute judgment as he saw fit without question from Caesar. Caesar had given carte blanche. He could do and say what he wanted to. Are you with me? And at the base of this hill was the Asclepion, or the hospital, which featured rooms for bathing, because before you went in, they didn't want you to be all nasty. Infinity, and not infinity stones, infirmity wards, <laughs> infirmity wards. And a diagnostic center. Well, come on, look at that, I mean, Pergamum, man. Y'all had a hospital with a diagnostic center? I mean, we can't get one of those out here. And it was a place where people with sicknesses would go to be diagnosed and remedies would be prescribed. There was also an assortment of pagan cathedrals scattered up and down the hillside dedicated to at least 17 gods. Can you imagine that? Let me help you. Well, there was a temple dedicated to the God of gods, good old Zeus. Let me tell you about this temple. It, it, it was built in the form of a 40-foot tall throne. Can you see that? 
See how it kind of has its armchairs out? And in the middle of that throne was like an ever-burning fire. It was built as a 44-foot-tall throne. And it was positioned at the pinnacle of the hill so that the entire skyline of the city would be dominating by this towering figure of Zeus's throne. Some theologians think that this might be what Jesus is referring to. He says, you live in the city where Satan's throne is. Less obtrusive, but way more elegant, was the temple to the goddess Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom and reason, and Rome gave her credit for giving them strategies to win battles. Now, if you went further down the hill, you had the hospital, but surrounding the hospital was a temple dedicated to the God of healing. And his name was Asclepius. He was often called the savior because he healed people of their disease. And he was symbolized by a snake on a staff. Now, I was driving on the way here and Jamila and I, we drove by an ambulance which are now outsourced. Back in the day, ambulances used to be all the same place. Now they're different. But on them, they all carry this emblem, this, this, this staff with a snake. And this is actually the World Health Organization. And this is their emblem. Now, I wanted to put that up, but then I, I thought, oh my gosh, there's gonna be some over-spiritual people here. Y'all know who you are. Well, see, I told you, the world, we can't trust them. They got that. I want you to know that, every, that major medical facilities, including if you got to reject them, you got to reject the ambulance that's going to come and pick you up if something happens right now, okay? So I just got to make sure we don't go crazy with this and do our, okay. I just want you to show, I just want to show that it's been passed down. Knowledge has been passed down. Emblems have been passed down. And today in our major, even if you have a blue shield, the, the shield on there, there was a snake on that shield, and, and that's all part of going back to ancient Greece. Interesting, right? Again, useless knowledge, I got you. <laughs> they even had a real weird ritual in this temple. They would bring sick bodies into a dark room. They'd lay them down and then let the snakes loose. Can you imagine that? I feel like it'd be that, how traumatizing that was. Like, okay, you healed me physically, but now mentally I'm, I'm traumatized. They would lay, imagine if you were really sick and the, the, the priest would bring you into this temple and lay you in a room, be really, really dark with a bunch of other people and just snakes would begin to slither. Yeah. Right? I'm good. It's like, the, you know, the dentist, you know, Asclepius. I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure which one I'd rather go to. Then there was also a temple to Roma, and, and Roma uh, uh, was the goddess of Rome. Uh, um, and, and I want to pause here, because if you're a studious, you know, biblical observer, you'll know that any time there is, any time that the scripture refers to imperial worship, you can also know that the church in that region is gonna face fierce persecution. Whenever the state is worshiped as God, the church gets persecuted. I'll let that, I'll let that, I'll just drop that right there. And that can happen on all sides. The true church, amen? 
And so we see imperial worship. They, they're worshiping Roma, which ultimately is the god of Rome, the goddess of Rome, and, and, they're, and they're lifting up incense to Caesar. And so we know when that's happening in the scripture that that partners with the church being fiercely persecuted. Are you with me? This is why Jesus praises the church. Did you see it? He commends the church. He, he tells this church, well done. He says, he says to some of them, well done. They, they have remained faithful. Not, not, not just to Christ, but to the exclusivity of Christ. Y'all get that? I mean, this church didn't say we, we love Jesus and the 17 other gods. This church said we love Christ, Christ is Lord, and we will bow to no other. In fact, the early Christians, get this, were accused of being atheists. Right? Because in Greece, the, Greek, the Greeks, they worshiped anything. Everything was a god. And so they were actually accused of having no gods. And so Jesus says, well done. You remain faithful to my name, the exclusivity of my name. You, you refuse to share my lordship and my glory with Caesar or any other god even if it cost you your life. Amen? Even if it cost them their life. We ain't ready for that. And, and, and Jesus, if you saw in the letter, he goes on to give an example. And he said, and for one of you in your membership, it did cost them their life. It would be like Jesus writing to us right now and telling, hey, you were really faithful when intense persecution, persecution came, even when, uh, you know, they killed, you know, AJ or JT. I love you, AJ. I, I was wrestling with my head. I know that sounds kind of odd, and we all laugh, and thank God we are in a comfortable place where we don't have to worry about that right now. But, you know, can I say this? Readers who are reading this 2,000 years later, all right, who's AJ? But to those in the church, they remember when AJ was killed. Y'all with me? Sorry, AJ. <laughs> You're like one of the only guys I could say in here that wouldn't. <laughs> we'll see at the 11 a.m. <laughs> and so he, he, said, he says, even when they threatened to kill you and they killed a man named Antipas. Now, can we learn a lesson from dear old Antipas? You know, I, I've asked the, the visual team to keep his name on the screen for a moment. You see, um, not much is written about him. In fact, all we get is a sentence. Antipas is like a, 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 a dot in church history. Um, other than what we see recorded here in his life, we'll never know what Antipas left behind. Y'all with me? We'll never know if he had a wife, if he had a children, a family that loved him. All we know, all we know is that Antipas was willing to lay down his life and he refused to deny his savior. That powerful? And as a result, Christ bestows upon him the greatest title any mortal man could ever hope to have. Antipas 
my faithful witness. That's what the text says. Like if you're not going to write, if my name dies and you never remember Philip or, or, or you'll never know anything about what I did or what I accomplished or who I am or how much money I made or how many followers I had on IG, right? If, I, if none of that, if none of that ever was written, I hope, I pray the greatest honor that could ever be bestowed upon me, if I could just make one line in the Bible, one small phrase, if, if they'll never know anything else about me, Antipas, Philip, AJ, my faithful witness, what a supreme honor to be called by Christ a faithful witness. Imagine that being written on your grave. My faithful witness. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? Well, many waste their entire lives chasing approval. Has anybody ever done that? Anybody in here? Have you wasted some season in your life chasing the approval of man? I know I have. It happens in the church all the time. While many waste their lives chasing approval and looking to even make a name for themselves, amen? And, and while we envy and we applaud those who have successfully received the status of celebrity. Yet Antipas reminds all of those who call themselves followers of Jesus that it's not about you. It's not about your name. It's not about your brand. And we're all brand experts now with social media, right? It's not about Inspire Church's name. I know some churches that want to have events, but they, 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 they fight over the name. What are we going to call it? What, what, whose name are we going to put on it? Whose face are we going to show? You've got to be kidding me. Have you learned the lesson of Antipas? That's why Jesus says, if you don't change, I'm going to come to you with a sword. Amen? He reminds us that it's better to be esteemed by God and forgotten by men than to be esteemed by men and forgotten by God. Hmm. Think about that. It's better to be esteemed by God and forgotten by men than to be esteemed by men and forgotten by God. I don't know if my pride's ready for that, to be honest. Antipas, my faithful, my faithful witness. What a testimony. You would think a church with men like this, <laughs> right, would have no problems. Man, if everyone was Antipas, man, this must be a good church. But Jesus says, I have a few things against you. Interesting, too. He didn't hold back, right? Y'all been through it, but a lot of times, you know, we, 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 uh, don't we hold back a little bit? Like, oh, well, they've been through it now, so I don't want to. Jesus is like, hey, you've been through a lot, but I have something against you. Straight shooter. He says this, and here's the key word, some. Some of you in this church are embracing false teaching, and as a result, it's causing you to justify your participation in sin, and at this point, if you're not a member of a church and you're not a follower of Christ, you can kind of just sit back and 
gonna look around at everybody else because Jesus is about to chastise his own. It's like being at a friend's house and watching their parents scold them, you know, right? It's like really awkward. Well, welcome to that awkward space, but you feel really good because it's not you. You're kind of like, yeah, let them know, right? So, so feel free. If you're kind of here, just casually here, hey. But, but, but to, to those who are in Christ, right? To some of you in this church are embracing false teaching and it's justifying your participation in sin. Listen, are you ready? If Satan can't kill the church, he'll join the church. Right? I mean, he'll pastor the church too. If Satan can't kill the church, he'll, he'll join the church. He, he'll be totally fine infiltrating the body of Christ and sitting on Sundays and even preaching on Sundays, God forbid. So Jesus, writing this letter, gives us two examples of how Satan has influenced and infiltrated this church. Are you ready? And we're going to focus on Balaam because not much is said. In it, really, there's not a lot to be understood about the Nicolaitans, but we're going to talk about Balaam because we can understand. He says, some of you in this church, you're holding on to the teaching of Balaam. What is that? Well, well story time, okay? Story time. Hopefully you like story time. Old Testament story time, like book of numbers story time, okay? Israel uh, in the Old Testament was wandering around the wilderness waiting to enter into the land that God had promised them. And they were on the brink. They were just about to enter into the land that God had promised them. Are y'all with me? But there was a problem. The Moabites and, and the king of Moab, Balak, he hated them. He didn't want them to enter into the promised land. He wanted to ruin them. Are you with me? So the king of Moab, the Moabites, Balak, he hired a soothsayer, a fortune teller. And his name was Balaam. And he said, I'm going to pay you to curse Israel. Y'all know what happened? Every time Balaam opened his mouth to curse Israel, God restrained him and all he could do was bless Imagine that. Imagine if somebody came up to you and they were ready to curse you out. And like, like, God bless you. You're faithful. Yeah. Like God restrained him and he could not curse God's people. He could only bless them. And so he went back to the king and said, I know you paid me, but for some reason, God is not allowing me to curse his people. He says, but I got a plan. So he conspires with Balak and says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I can't curse them, but I'm going to devise a plan for them to curse themselves. So he tells the king of Moab, send your women. Isn't this terrible? Send your women into the camp of the Israelites. And have your women invite them to drink, to eat, and to have sex. Happy Mother's Day. Listen, if, if, if he couldn't curse them, he'd seduce them. And like the dopes that they were, that all of us are, the men of Israel willingly participated in idolatrous feasting and sexual immorality, thus inviting the judgment of God upon themselves. Y'all see that? Y'all see how that worked? What a clever plan. 
Jesus is saying, this is what's going on in my church. When the devil realized that he could not kill them with persecution from without, he determined to infiltrate them and kill them with perversion from within. And Pergamum was the perfect city to compromise. I saved the best for last. Let let me tell you a little bit about the notorious temple. (laughs) Kind of sounds like a, the notorious temple of Dionysus. We got a little picture of the guy too for you. He already looks like he's up to no good. (laughs) I mean, come on. Some of you are like, yeah, I know who that guy is, right? I've partied with that guy. (laughs) He was the God of wine and festivities. You with me? And every year the city would gather together and hold a festival in his name. And since he was the God of wine, the festival featured excessive drinking and drunkenness. Hundreds of pounds of raw meat would be laid at the altars for continual consumption. You know what's crazy? They even had vomiting pits. Like spaces, sections, holes, so that folks can consume and drink and consume some more. And they can throw up and get right back to it. And then as the night went on, orgies, temple prostitution, sex parties all would become acts of worship. Now be careful, church. Before you judge Pergamum, sounds a lot like a night in the city. Right? We we don't have to go too far to find strip clubs and bars and brothels and buffets. All in the same area. Some of them even have it all in the same building. Don't laugh at that because I might... Sure, you're not stepping into the temple of Dionysus, but large structures are, 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 are dedicated to clubs and pool parties where you can drink excessively and indulge sexually. Who are we kidding? Who are we kidding? This is what worship has always looked like when you have a substitute savior. And perhaps this is what Jesus meant when he told the church, I know where you live. Jesus, the all-knowing, omniscient one, sees and knows the visible and invisible realities of the city. Shout out to the puppet master fam. That's just, that's that's an inside joke. He can see clearly the demonic strongholds and the spiritual warfare that takes place as a result of living in and participating in spaces where Satan exercises incredible authority. Perhaps this is what led to the compromise. Maybe they were seduced in their flesh or maybe they had bought into a philosophy or a teaching that downplayed these invisible realities and they wrongly assumed that they can call Jesus Lord while still being in their sin. It's just alcohol, right? Loosen up. I mean, I don't party like this all the time. I need a day to myself. It's just music. I like the beat. 
really like to be. I can ignore those explicit lyrics that aren't glorifying God. It's just pornography or, or casual sex, right? Everyone does it. Come on, Pastor Phil, stop being so old-fashioned, so legalistic, so religious. God is loving. God is gracious. God always forgives and forgets. Besides, you don't believe in a literal hell, do you, Pastor Phil? Like, you don't really think there are, like, demons and devils running around. I wonder if the Lord would allow us to see what he sees how much that would impact the decisions that we make. If I had to summarize all of this teaching of Balaam, I'd put it like this. It's the temptation to think that you can follow Jesus without embracing repentance. I'll say that again. I'm gonna let it sit for you here on the screen for a moment. It's the temptation to think that you can follow Jesus without embracing repentance. And don't get that word repentance twisted, church folk. Repentance is, hey, I do it and ask for forgiveness. Repentance is, man, I am turning. And I am beginning in my process of sanctification to walk away from that and move towards Christ. Yet Jesus, Jesus makes it plain in this letter, doesn't he? He says, therefore, repent. Some translations say, repent quickly. <laughs> if not, he says, this is what Jesus says, he makes a promise. I will come to you soon and wage war against them with the sword of my mouth. That's heavy, huh? And it got me thinking. Did you notice in the very beginning of the text, Jamila, not Jamila. Happy Mother's Day, babe. Jesus reveals himself to be, or reveals himself to the church as one who is armed. You catch that? That ain't the Jesus I know. <laughs> Jesus says the one who has a sharp, double-bladed sword, double-edged sword. The implications from the beginning is clear. Christ is ready to do war. But you know what's, what messed me up this week? Y'all wanna know? Jesus describes Pergamum as Satan's city. Y'all saw that, right? It's literally Satan, the place where Satan lives. It's the place where Satan's throne. He might as well call it Satan's headquarters. And I don't even know if that's, is that literal? Like, could it be that Satan, because he's not omnipresent, you know that, right? He can't be everywhere. So could it be that if you do believe in Satan, that he actually has a home base in this world? Makes you think, I wonder where that is now. I can't go down that rabbit trail. I gotta keep going. Though Jesus describes Pergamum as Satan's headquarters, it is not the city that he intends to do war with. Y'all, 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 you there? It's not the city that he has the sword against. Y'all with me? Though Pergamum is the place where Satan dwells, it is not the city that Jesus intends to war with, but it is his church. It is his church that has been infiltrated by compromise that he intends to cut and divide. Let that sink in. 
If you're visiting today, again, I apologize. Just sit back and let, let the church take it. You see, because before the word wars out there, it's got a war in here. Y'all with me? It's got a war in here. Look, one day, God will judge the world. But right now, his judgment comes to his house first. He deals with the hypocrisy. He divides and he cuts. Notice the placement of the sword. Y'all see that? Jesus don't got the sword in his hand. The scripture says it's in his mouth. We'd expect him to have a sword in his hand, but, but he has one in his mouth. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Theologian John Stott describes the word, this sword which pricks the consciousness of men and women. It is the sword which wounds the sinner's pride, the sword which cuts away all of our camouflages and pieces all of our defenses. This sword is that which bears our sin and our need and kills all false doctrine by its death-sharp thrusts. This is why I thank God he has called Inspired Church to demonstrate biblical theology from the pulpit. And this is why I'm such a huge proponent of coming to church on Sundays and sitting under the word. It's here where we wield the sword and wage war against the flesh. It's here where for six days we are immersed in the city and we find ourselves living in the world being controlled by Satan. But every Sunday on the Lord's Day, we gather as a community of confessors, not, to, not just to be encouraged and exhorted, absolutely all of those, but we gather under the supremacy of Christ. We sit under the supremacy of the double-edged sword. And if it is rightfully divided, because there are many churches that are not dividing this word correctly, then it is the place that we come yielded, submitted to the sword of our Lord's mouth, allowing him to cut and divide so that we don't walk out of here like hypocrites. It's here when the word is faithfully proclaimed, we find ourselves under the authority of Christ, not Inspire, not Pastor Roger, not Pastor Phil. And it's here where we anticipate the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text and empower us to go back as faithful witnesses where Satan dwells. This is the primary problem of those in the church who are compromised. They engage the authority of scripture or rather than engaging the authority of scripture, they engage in the lust of their flesh. And that's a, that's a choice that we have to make. We all have that. Either you're going to indulge in the word, and we're getting ready to close, or, or you're going to indulge in the flesh. Right? I mean, isn't that what it is? I mean, isn't it the kingdom of God or the kingdom of hell? Indulge in the word or indulge in the flesh? Eat now and die or eat later and live? 
temporary, permanent, and eternal. I mean, that's what we believe. Crazy. Jesus says, I'm going to come to you and wage war against them. Anybody watch the Hillsong documentary lately? One of the largest, most influential churches that we have ever seen. Music scattered throughout denominations. Millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. The leadership and the membership, after years and years of hidden secrecy, were exposed for their demonic perversion and seduction and sexual immorality and idolatry. And Jesus says, if you don't deal with it, I will. If you're not cutting and wielding and repenting from the pulpit of your church, then I will. I'll come quickly. Don't think for one second that the reckoning the church is seeing is not Christ's sword coming from his mouth. The word of truth exposing and shining light in dark spaces and places. Wow. You know what saddens me? The people who are just following this. I know we're picking on Hillsong, but Hillsong is a drop in the bucket. For every mega church that gets exposed, there's these little small churches that are angry because they're not big. (laughs) And hiding in the dark, sexual immorality, perversion. I could tell you so many stories. I grew up in the church. I love the church. But I've I've seen some in the church that look more like Satan. Are you with me? Got to move on. In the end, Jesus says, and he always does this. He says, to those who overcome. To those living in the doorstep of hell. To those in the church that's been infiltrated by perversion. He says, to you who overcome. To the conquerors. I'm going to speak to you now. He says, I got something for you. If you overcome, if you endure, (laughs) if you deny the feast out there, I got a feast for you in here. Y'all see that? He says, to those who overcome, he says, I will give you a portion of the hidden manna. Hmm. I wonder what those party goers at Dionysus, I wonder what they were thinking because they would engorge themselves in drink and festival and food and substitute savior so they could run away and escape and chase all of these things of their flesh. But he says, listen, he says, if you will conquer, if you will endure, if you will remain faithful, he goes, I'll give you hidden manna. He says, there's a, there's a party that you can see that's tempting you to indulge. But there's hidden manna. There's a nourishment for a believer that nobody knows. And it's not your church. And it's not your small group. And it's not your serve team or your pastor. Yes, those are tools and graces God uses. But it's Christ who is your strength. It is Christ who is your manna. What is hidden manna? In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were miraculously fed with bread from heaven. 
it would fall and they would eat. But God said, you can only have it for a day. Because if it went too long, it would get stale real quick. Y'all ever had some moldy bread? You don't want moldy heaven bread. So why would God do that? Because the manna was pointing to something to come. Something greater was coming. This wasn't it. This wasn't it. There's something better. And in the New Testament, Jesus stepped on a scene. In the book of John chapter 6, he declared, to be him, he declared himself to be the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I have come down from the Father. I am the true manna. I am the bread that you'll eat and I'll never go stale. I'll never grow moldy. No more penicillin on this bread. Can I get an amen? And it's interesting. He says it's hidden because right now you don't see it. Christians, we don't see it. You don't see Christ with your eyes. Yeah, Jesus said, blessed are those who don't see but believe. It's hidden, but there's a deep nourishment. There's a strengthening for you to endure, but it's hidden. He said, but one day, one day that man is not going to be hidden no more. It's going to be revealed to you. It's going to be revealed to you. To those who overcome, it'll be revealed. And then he says this, last thing, I promise. To those who conquer, I will give you hidden manna. He says, and if you eat this manna, you'll live forever. Yeah. Amen. You like the party temporary? Well, I got a permanent party. It can sound kind of corny, but it's true. It re- that's what it is, right? That's what life is. I'm going to indulge in the now, or I'm going to believe for something greater, something hidden. He says this, and finally, I'll give you a white stone with a new name. What does that mean? <laughs> white stone with a new name. There, there's a lot of scholars that kind of debate they don't debate but there's just we're not quite sure so I don't I don't want to speculate too much I told you I don't want to I don't ever want to speculate beyond the word but the white stone with a name on it was used in in the ancient world sometimes as an admissions ticket so if you were going to the theater you'd give them a white stone with a name on it or if you were going to like a grand ball like it was an invitation from the king you'd have a white stone with a name on it also, in Greek courts, if you were declared guilty, there would be a black stone. If you were declared not guilty and acquitted, there would be a white stone. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful imagery about this white stone. But I don't want to focus on the white stone. I want to focus on the name, the new name, the new name, the new name. What does that even mean? You know, on that day when you stand in heaven, there are going to be billions of believers throughout history. It's not just us. I mean, many millions, billions who have said yes to Christ and have not bowed their knee to Caesar's. I'm like, well, it's just me, Lord. No, 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 no. Billions. But I want you to know that the white stone with the new name that only he knows. You know what that is? That's a representation that though there are billions who followed me, I know you and you know me. That every one of those who were faithful to my name, I know what you've been through. I know the battles. I know how the church has tried to destroy you. I've seen it all. I've seen how people have tried to kill you, put you down, persecute you, yet you conquered and you remain faithful. And though there are billions, I got a special name that I'm going to share with you and me. And though Jesus has billions that are following him, he'll be able to sit with each one in a very personable way. And exchange a name. Right? You got any significant others, husbands, wives? 
right? There's names that we have for each other. Ain't nobody calling my wife the names that I call her. And I mean that in a very appropriate way here. I've seen the laughs. There's these names we have, right? You have these names. And if somebody else were to come in, be like, hey, you're like, hey, wait a minute. That's, that's my name that I have, right? Like, you can't, no, no, no. Like, that's our special name. That's our special intimate space. Are you with me? And Jesus says, I'll give you a white stone with a new name. And on that name will be a name that only you and I know about each other. To those who overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just pray for all of us that are here today. Every mom, every son, every daughter in this building. Everyone who came and sat under this word. I pray that your word of truth, your Holy Spirit would illuminate it. That you have the ability to take the words that came out of my mouth and, and make it fit perfectly for every person who's experienced many different things in this room. So Jesus, I pray for people in this church who are convicted of compromise. It's not the end. Pray that they would yield themselves, submit themselves, repent quickly and continue to submit themselves to you, Jesus, and that they would see, Lord, that what they lose today, they will gain so much more in eternity. And I pray right now that there will be people in here right now that are being nourished off the food of compromise, that they would exchange it for the hidden manna. Jesus Christ, the son of the living God who died and took upon himself our sins. We'll just take a moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish quickly. Just allow the team just to just worship softly as you and, and briefly as you just kind of let this sit and respond in your mind momentarily. I promise we're going to dismiss soon. But I just pray you would create a little altar right where you're at. Do allow the spirit to speak.
take a moment just to return back to him to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news that on that cross Christ took the punishment Christ took our sin upon himself and he was punished in our place and in return he gave us his perfect record of righteousness so that when we stand before the Lord he would not see our dirty rags but he would see the spotless robes of righteousness of Christ that's what we believe and so when we put our faith in this when we put our trust in this when we believe historically that Jesus rose from the grave and that he died for our sins we receive eternal life the manna and so I just pray that as we leave this place and as the throne of Satan the temptations of the city the feasts and festivities of our of substitute saviors lord would 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 slowly begin to, we begin to lose our appetite for them and begin to grow an appetite for the hidden manna of christ lord would you be with us as we leave this place may we not leave your presence for you alone deserve all honor all glory and all praise and we pray these things in christ's name amen and amen god bless you have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you next week.